0: And a warm welcome to afternoons with me I'm Bill Arnold and it is uh, that time of the week where we do guy talk or guys who talk so you know the drill if uh, you have a question for us all you have to do is text it over and we'll uh, take a shot at it 8779332484 if you're new to the show and you're just uh, checking us out we are uh, Bunch of guys that sit around and try to answer questions. <laughs> How's that
1: for a description, you That's the official show page description, I think. Yeah? Yeah. It works pretty good, it that does, does. That it? does. That show to a T. Yeah. yeah. The keyword there was try, right? And it's of course. Mm-hmm. Try. Of, mm-hmm.
0: of course. Our power panel today is Jeff Verdorn, uh, Pastor Tom Parrish, and Dr. Peter Kapsner. So that is the power panel. Let me know what questions again. 877-933-2484. I'll say it one more time. Slower. 877 877- Nine three three two four eight four, all right, I'm gonna start with a question that came in uh today or maybe yesterday from my uh, wingman Terry. He wanted to know about watching shows like The Chosen or the Passion of the Christ, or any other movie or t v show about Jesus. Is it breaking the second commandment about not having any false idols? I mean, should we have depictions of Jesus in our homes and you know, there's so much art out there. It's the artist's interpretation of Jesus. Yeah. But when you see the Scandinavian kind of Jesus with the flowing hair, and is that a good idea to have a picture like that in your home? Or is that not a good idea?
2: When I was over in Russia uh, a while back, I went to an Eastern Orthodox church, and they had what they call the icons there. The icons are great art and uh, visualization, but the people are literally kneeling in front of that and praying Through the icon to get the Lord's attention. That we don't believe as Christians here in the West or as Protestants. But when we talk about that, in the Old Testament, the biggest problem when the commandments came along was that all the other peoples worshipped graven images. They drew their own images of God, came up with their own ideas, and kind of created their own, forgive me, icons, and started worshipping those. The Bible says absolutely no to that. Does the Bible say no? We can't have any image in our mind of Jesus, or any artist's image. Never goes there. It's simply talking about do not make it an object of worship. Once it becomes the object of worship, it violates the commandment. Mm-hmm.
1: Totally agree. I don't. I don't think there's any prohibition in Scripture about having an image or a depiction of Jesus in any way, physically, either in film or print or painting or whatever. It is a hard thing, like Tom, what you 're just saying I think it 's a hard thing the The command is about worshiping a false God, a graven image, not about having a depiction of christ um so I, I agree with that I think it 's a hard thing
3: yeah. yeah i think if if you take yourself into the world of Christianity prior to when the Bible began to be published through the printing press and the invention of the printing press and before it was translated into multiple languages you 're talking about fifteen hundred years or so of people following Jesus that wouldn't have had regular weekly, daily access to the scriptures. And so the question became, how would they know about the stories of scripture, the stories of Jesus, and how would they be taught? And a lot of them were also illiterate. Just the educational system across so many European countries for 1,500 years, where they just... It was in a different world. So the way they were taught was primarily through artists' depictions of stained glass windows, um, other icons, stories, imagery. This is how people knew the stories of Scripture. So clearly there's plenty of precedent for visual, tangible representations of the biblical stories and of Jesus himself that has been part of the history and tradition of the church. So I don't think there's any trouble with that. In fact, I think it actually... Helps us, um, experience kingdom life in a different kind of way when there's something visual and tangible. And, and I do know why the, the Protestants sort of drove out some of the icons in the church, but it goes back to what you just said, Parish. It was about the worship of the icons, right. not the, uh, not the icons
1: themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been to museums in several cities around the world, famous museums, and many, many of the old Paintings that they have are actually biblical scenes, and and people don't recognize this anymore. The uh, from the crucifixion to depictions of Mary and so on, they're beautiful. And you're right, that's how people knew and understood the scripture. If if making an image was prohibited, there is a, a the Jesus film. I don't, you, I'm sure you guys have heard mm-hmm. it. it's been shown to more people than probably any other movie in the world and many many people have come to faith in Christ through it. You're just going to say no we can't use that the the Jesus film? I mean that's how mm-hmm. people in many languages have learned the story of Jesus Christ about his death, burial and resurrection. One of my one of my favorite verses it's like God has has a sense of humor in a way and can be sarcastic in a way. And it's back in Isaiah 44. It says, of a man, you take some of this wood, and with some of it you carve a graven image, an idol, Mm -hmm. and with the rest of it you cook your food. And then you bow down to this idol that you just carved like it's something. It's nothing, God says. He goes, you're, you're praying to a piece of wood, right? And that's what images are. Graven images are are objects that we worship. It's not the depiction
2: itself. And, you know, we have to be careful in this country because although we don't, most of us Protestants don't have icons that we're looking at or praying to, we can do that with pews. Mm -hmm. We can do that with our church building. We can do that with the way we've always done things. Uh, I put a question to one of my Sunday school classes. I said, look, you know, we're doing well where we are, but if the Lord actually showed us we could move five blocks down the street to a warehouse and reach 10 times the people would we go. And the people, some of them groaned. Because the building for them is the worship of of Jesus. And I'm saying, no, it isn't. The building is a facility. The worship of Jesus is Jesus. And we can go and do that anywhere. So it's a tough one for people. And Mm -hmm. and I'm just as guilty. we all got to keep looking deep to our heart. Who am I really worshiping? And why am I doing this? And I think you bring up
3: an important subject with maybe a a semi-related point is, how would I experience walking into a church building if I'm somebody who is utterly unfamiliar with the Christian story? So like taking us back again to those first 1500 years in which most of the services were done in Latin and people sure. didn't really understand what was going on in Latin. So they rang bells or or had incense and, and they were able to. And you stared that, at the stained glass w- windows, you right? Did. You absolutely <laughs> did that. And, and you signaled what was going on in the service, but you probably didn't understand what was going on. It makes me wonder if I was somebody who had never really thought, maybe I've heard Jesus's name, but I know nothing about life in the kingdom. If I walked into a church building, as you described today would there be a lot of insider baseball kind of language going on? Would it feel like Latin to me to walk into the church? And yeah. and I think those are important questions to ask because yeah. we, I think we get into these little insulated Christian circles and if 80% of the population doesn't have any idea what's going on, you know, as we sort of go into future generations, well, maybe we need to think about how we're talking about this story and some of the visual representations and shows like The Chosen can actually be really helpful, I think.
2: See, this is where we get in trouble. Why did the church continue to use Latin for as long as it did? Hmm. Well, they considered it sacred. They did. And they made an idol out of it, which is a graven image. Right point. And so they they point. worship. They kept doing it in Latin when the message has nothing to do with Latin. It Has everything to do with the, about the person of Jesus yeah. and what He's done for us. And most people were missing that, and that's why the stained glass became so popular among yeah. people. They <laughs> could actually see a Jesus up on the stained glass. I wonder how you do stained glass. Would anybody does? Is there anybody that even does stained glass like in modern times
3: now? There really oh, yeah. We
1: did, we just did a chapel at my home church, and we decided there were some windows, some tall windows. We ended up putting some stained glass yep. in those so, windows, cool. and this was just uh, well, probably six seven years ago. So. Hmm. Yeah, it looked turned out really good. Cool. It just dawned on me, today is Jeff's birthday. What? 39. Congratulations. Yeah. 39. And I think,
0: great. I think we should fully respect him by not singing. I
1: agree. That's <laughs> a very wise course of action, Bill Arnold. Whoa. India is, India. Three the, of the best us, gr- uh, birthday gift yes, you guys The three of begin. us would be the Monster Tones.
0: Oh. If we yeah. were a band, we'd be the Monster Tones. <laughs> I agree. And we should not sing.
1: No. I want you guys to know that several people asked me what I'm doing today for my birthday, and I'd tell them what I did today and what I'm doing tonight. I have a birthday dinner tonight with my whole family. But I also said I'm going on to Guy Talk, and I can't think of any better way to spend part of my day on my birthday than participating in Guy Talk here. We so. agree with I you. Love
2: that.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so do you have a food of choice that is for your birthday today, Jeff? Yeah, do you uh, get to we pick are. Your dinner? Steak
1: dinner? We are having steak nice. tonight. Nice. Yeah. A nice cut of steak? A nice cut of steak.
3: Because <laughs> <laughs> there are other versions of steak yes, for there sure. Are.
0: Yes. And then what kind of seasoning do you put on this steak? Um, I don't know. Uh, so you're not grilling? I'm, I'm not doing it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because people get very particular about what goes on the meat. They do. Yeah. They do indeed.
3: Salt and pepper. That's all it needs as that's far as I'm need. concerned. Yeah. You, know, you start getting that garlic mixed in there. You don't a, like that? And, Well, I mean, maybe. Maybe I haven't had
0: Any done. sauce?
3: Do you ever put any little sauce on it? Mm, depends on how hard the steak is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if there are still marks where the jockey was hitting <laughs> yeah, it. <that's>
2: completely. <laughs>
1: then
0: it's time to get the bottle of steak sauce out for sure. What's
1: for dinner? Yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> get this.
0: <laughs> it's time for that jingle again, right? It is. Yeah, I think we should take a, our first break right now. When we come back, I want to ask uh, the, the panel about the women at the uh, tomb on the morning of the resurrection and why it was such a big deal that they were the first ones to walk out with the message of the gospel, the very first evangelist. So if you have questions, let me know what they are, 877 We'll be back with the power panel, birthday boy Jeff Verdorn, <laughs> Pastor Tom Parrish, and Dr. <laughs> Peter Kapsner. We have no idea where Double Seven is. I tell you, that music gets you in the mood to write a question and send it over. Let me know what you have for us. Guide Talk is happening, or guys who talk, 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Yeah, birthday boy Jeff Verdorn, Tom Parrish, Peter Capsner is at the power panel today. They're ready for your questions. All right, so we get to the tomb, and the women are the first see the risen Jesus, and they're sent to go tell the others. They're the first evangelists. Mm-hmm. Why is that um,
3: such a um, theological challenging issue? Yeah, there, there's a surprising amount of scholarship that has been done on that piece of it that that I certainly didn't notice for many, many years of my life what a, maybe a big deal that was, but I often don't think of myself in that world in which the Bible was written. And so once you begin to transport yourself back into that world the best you can, you might experience something very different. And in uh, part of the experience of, of any Jewish woman in that time would have been that they would have been seen as unfit to testify in a court of law because... Being a female, they were seen as a source of unreliable information. In fact, some people have gone so far as to write that it was assumed that any time a woman opened her mouth, it would be uh, laced with deception. And so they were completely relegated to an entirely different class of people in terms of their reliability. And for them to be at the tomb and Jesus to appear to them first— Uh, was one thing, but then for it's, it was significant socially in terms of how Jesus was beginning to restore a properly ordered kingdom life of relationships by entrusting these women to go tell the disciples. He didn't say, hang out here for a little bit. I'll go tell the disciples the same good news. He tells them to go tell the disciples. Uh, and boy, what, it's just really interesting if you're back in that world, if you had been in the disciple, where the disciples were gathering and suddenly three women show up and they say that Jesus is risen uh, and they've been given that commission to share that good news, that would have been pretty um, thought-provoking to say the least in those moments. So there, there, uh, there's more to it that we could say. But um, the restoration of rightly ordered male and female relationships start in that moment at the tomb. God is unwinding um, the fall of creation back to restoration, uh, starting with the stewards who originally fell in the beginning. It's a really powerful moment.
1: You know, many have made the argument that the fact that it's women who made the first uh, witness of the resurrection uh, is indirect evidence of the reliability of Scripture, because if you were making up the story of a resurrection of Christ, the last person you would write into your story to be the first witnesses of the resurrection would be women.
2: Good point. For sure. It's interesting, too, because You've got Mary at the tomb first. We, we read about that and then the other women. And it is uh, interesting because you go to the New Testament, you try to define an apostle. There is no chapter and verse you can go to that says this is the definition of an apostle. But Paul argued with the church saying, hey, am I not? Haven't I seen the risen Lord? You know, haven't I been told what to do? You know, I'm no different than Peter and, and these other guys. He He was kind of defining an apostle. Mm-hmm. You look at Mary and the women. They saw the risen Lord Jesus Christ, and he gave them a direct commission. And so, um, although we can't prove it in the definitive sense, they fit the category of an apostle. Uh, But it's amazing that they took that, uh, that he went to the women first and sent them out. And Jeff, what you were saying, I was thinking the same thing. This would never happen if this was fiction. Mm. You would not write a fiction in that culture with women being the heroes of the story. And it's also interesting when Mary came back and the women told him, Jesus is written. The men thought the apostles thought they were foolish. Mm-hmm. They didn't buy it at first yeah. until Jesus appeared to them.
3: Yeah. In, in that same vein that, and I know we've covered this in different, uh, different shows from time to time that Mary Martha story is actually in that same vein. And and I would have, I don't know how you would have heard that story taught or preached in church, but typically speaking the way I've heard it framed is that uh, Mary was doing the right thing or the better thing by hanging out with Jesus while Martha was busy, busy, busy for the kingdom. And so stop being busy, 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 just hang out with Jesus. And I mean, maybe that's part of that story, but it's highly unlikely given the context uh, when you understand that for men to show up at the door of a house that is being run by women, there's no other men in the house, was actually against Jewish law. And they would have been subject to the threat of potentially capital punishment by consorting with men who are not their husbands in the house. And so... Um, Martha separated herself from the room in which the men were actually um staying in. And the reason why she was so fussed with Mary is that Mary went right into that room where she doesn't belong. I mean, right. she was crossing all of the social boundaries. And Martha's thinking, I might die, Mary, because you're being such an idiot heading into that room with all the men. You're breaking all of the laws. And so when Jesus says that she's right to be here... He's saying a couple of different things because she's also sitting at his feet, which is the posture of a student who wants to learn from a rabbi who ultimately wants to become like the rabbi himself or in this case herself. So when he's doing a dual affirmation in this moment, she belongs in this room and she also can learn from me as she as any male could from a rabbi. So she could yes. actually become a rabbi herself. I mean, this is what's in that story yep. as probably the most reliable way to understand
2: it. It's fascinating stuff. And you can go one step further. Uh, on this. Look at the New Testament. Who had the church in their home? Priscilla Prisham. and Aquila. Mm-hmm. You would not use the woman's name first under normal circumstances. And yet I think somehow the understanding there's neither male nor female in Jesus Christ is still something we struggle with trying to understand. Uh, my attitude has always been, I, I'm not worried about male or female. I'm worried about the gospel being proclaimed accurately. And we just don't have enough of that today with just men. I'm thrilled when women do it too. Mm-hmm. Both of them. Let's get the message out there. That's where I was going to go.
1: There is no male or female. We are all one in Christ. There's no Jew. There's no Greek. There's no race. There's no anything. Any single person, male, female, whatever your ethnicity, you can accept Christ and become in Christ, become saved, be united with the creator of, of the universe through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Exactly. Yeah. With
0: every year older, he gets wiser. He does. <laughs> Look at that. There's I mean, a distinct it's, difference it's, in him right
3: brilliant. now. Last week. So Crossing that threshold of 39. Yeah. Just I, wait till next year. I thought, uh, yeah. you know, when you get to 40 iffy. next year, <laughs> it is going to be a sight to
1: behold, for sure. I was called a young man this week. You were? I was. They said, thank you, young man. It's like, man, I haven't been called a young man in like it, 25 years. It.
0: Right? I got called sir the other day. And How'd said, you take that? Well, they said, uh, "Sir, I think you've had enough free samples. (laughs) (laughs) Step away from the salad bar." You know, at first I thought it kind of sounded nice, but then I realized (laughs) it didn't. All right, here's another question, uh, gentlemen. Uh, Can you tell me the difference uh, between your soul and
1: your spirit? Oh, I love this question. Oh, good. Um, I love the the idea of the body, soul, spirit because I think the there's so many passages that come to light if you understand the distinction between these three. Paul said in Thessalonians, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he defines these three components. In the Greek, that's the summa, the body, the suke, the soul, and the pneuma, the spirit. So first, with this question, we got to establish that we are a three-part being. So many in Christianity believe that we are a two-part being. They don't make a distinction between the soul and spirit at all. I, I do believe that Scripture testifies or describes man is, as being a three-part being, a being made of body, soul, and spirit. And so the body is the physical body, which we dwell in this physical world, sight, taste, smell, touch. That's how we interact. We, Our soul, our suke, that's the immaterial part of us. That's our mind, our will, our emotions, our memories. I love C.S. Lewis's quote. He says... You don't have a soul. You are a soul. Mm-hmm. You have a body. What makes you you is not the physical characteristics of you, it's what's inside. It's your soul, it's the immaterial part of you. So, if that's the immaterial part, what's the last part? The spirit. Well, we know that the spiritual part of man, of unsaved man, is what Scripture says is dead. Yes. But when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, God says spirit gives birth to spirit, and your spirit becomes alive. I believe it's the spiritual portion of man, that spirit, that pneuma, that when you're saved comes into relationship with God and his spirit now dwells with your spirit. And that is what being born again, what being a new creation in Christ mm. is all about. It's the spirit of God dwelling with your spirit that makes it alive. So I think it's very important. And, and, and by the way, so when scripture says we're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, well, I'm physically, you know, on earth. But my spirit, Mm -hmm. united with Christ, is with Christ who's seated at the right hand of the Father. So I am literally seated with Christ in the heavenly realms spiritually. One last aspect of this is when we die, Scripture says we're absent from the body and at home with the Lord. So Mm -hmm. our physical body, which is wasting away, goes into the ground. But our soul and our spirit, the immaterial part of us, That is what now is with the Lord in heaven.
2: And as a lifelong Lutheran, I agree with you. (laughs) (laughs) All right, here's another question that almost is
0: in the same category, and this is, why was Mary not able to cling to Jesus when she finally recognized him? A few passages later, we see the invitation for Thomas to reach out and touch him. So my thought is, uh, is Jesus, was he saying not to get used to him being there? Like, don't touch
2: me? That's the question. I think sometimes scripture is, is very polite in the way it says things. And the word cling, if you look at the original language, is not simply that she was holding on to his garment or whatever. She It was like WWE. I mean, she had him wrapped up. <laughs> she wasn't going to let him go. It's like, I've got him. He's here. He's really here. And that's what it means to cling. It's I've seen people uh, when they, on deathbeds, they will cling on to the dying. Uh, at that last moment. They don't want to let them go. It's like if I hold them hard enough or strong enough or pull them close to my heart, they won't go away. And I think Mary was in that same position. She was a human being. She loved her Lord. He died. All of a sudden, here he is, and she is going to get that death grip on him and not let go. Uh, where Thomas was a different matter. He wasn't doing that. Jesus actually gave him the invitation, come and see my side and see my hand. So two different things all together. Um, most of us, I think, would be like Mary. Uh, to see the risen Lord, I I know I would have literally thrown myself at him, and wrapped him up. Mm. You know, it's it's it's
1: basically it's not a prohibition against touching him because I actually think Mary was already touching him as you just described. Yep. Remember, a few chapters before, Jesus says, it's good for you that I go away because unless I go away, then the advocate, the Holy Spirit would not come and you wouldn't experience this rebirth that we were just talking about. Mm -hmm. So he's basically saying to Mary, Mary, I know you're glad that you have me back. You, you, I know that you're glad that you're seeing me alive once again, but I still have to go to the Father. I have to ascend. And in 40 days from now, that is exactly what he does. He ascends Mm -hmm. up to the Father and then the advocate, the Holy Spirit, is able to come. Mm -hmm. We will continue with your questions when
0: we come back from a short break. Send them over, please, 877-933-2484. My power panel is Peter Kapsner, Tom Parrish, and birthday boy Jeff Ferdorn. Who's apparently having steak tonight? Peter, if you'd like, I'll treat for sushi at the gas station if you want. <laughs> <laughs> it's
3: the best kind. It's only yeah. a few days past past this expiration. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, just Yummy. Yeah. yeah. Look, looking forward to the, that uh, holiday station. Because we clearly weren't invited to the no, other Clearly party. not. Clearly, clearly not. not. Yeah. All right.
0: We'll take a break again 877 933 2484. I promise we're not going anywhere. We'll be right back.
3: Jump in
0: your car. Yeah. What's for dinner? It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Welcome to the show. Glad you joined me today. You are listening to Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk. They do a great job and they answer questions. If you have a question from the Bible or anything else uh, that you've been thinking about and you would like a perspective on, we're more than happy to offer it. 877 933 Three three two four eight four. We don't always claim to be right, do we?
3: We want to be right. I don't remember that being part of the show. No, but we want to be right. We, we want to be accurate. For sure. Of course we yeah, do. Biblical and... and uh, we try very hard. Yeah. But with you know, a fair degree of humility. I mean, these are hard questions, complicated
1: questions. And and
3: um, as soon as somebody says that they're right about everything, I get incredibly skeptical.
1: Mm. So, yeah, yeah. You know, know that passage that. where it says, oh, you want to be a workman, one to approved, who to correctly handles the word of God. I mean, that should be everybody's Amen. Uh, goal is to correctly handle yep. the word of truth. Yep.
2: truth. Well, For not sure. only do we, we get to talk on the show, we are still students we're still learning and Mm -hmm. it's going to go on until the day the Lord calls us home. Mm -hmm. I was reading a book this last week from a a woman
3: who she was a university professor, I think in her late twenties and early thirties. And um, she was teaching things that were just completely out of bounds uh, as part of a a gender studies program. And she described her come to Jesus moment. And it really was that. And, And some of the language that she uses to describe it is she was felt very convicted that she was tying the millstone around the neck of the little ones, uh, obviously recalling Jesus's language from Matthew. That is a sobering thought. So when you are in any walk of life, whether you're on the radio, whether you're with friends or family, whether you're teaching children in in a Sunday school, I don't care what context you find yourself. That is the kind of sobering statement that we should have, even as we approach it with joy and and encouragement and we want to pursue all of these things. There's a sobering reality of life and death that underpins all of it. Right here's
0: a question, gentlemen. When Jesus comes back to defeat evil once and for all, do you think that means there
1: will be no more free will? Great question. So, this is one of these questions. Well, first, let's establish the truth that there's free will right now. You are free to choose Christ. You are free to not choose Christ. Uh, Thessalonians says that they perish because they refuse to love the truth and thus be saved. So, you know, why do people end up being thrown into the lake of fire, condemned by God? It's because they refuse to love the truth. Mm -hmm. It's their decision. God has offered the salvation to everybody. So let's establish that first. Once we are glorified and we have the, quote, mind of Christ, you know, now we know in part, then we will know fully kind of thing, and we are perfected in our glorified bodies, it's like, okay, so sin's gotta be done away with completely at that moment. But it's like if that's true, then isn't then doesn't free will cease to exist as well? And so I asked the question this way Does Jesus Christ today in his glorified body, because he's the only one who's been glorified, does he have free will? Mm-hmm. And I think everybody would answer that is yes. So I think we too will have free will, but our new nature is right, is now what's governing
2: us perfectly. Mm. I remember asking this question years ago when I was a student, and an older pastor looked at me and he said, why are you thinking negatively, Tom? I said, what do you mean? He goes, why are you worried that you're not going to have the free will in heaven? It's going to be on anything you can imagine. We can't even describe what it's way beyond free will. Mm. We're literally going to be doing the Lord's work throughout the universe in some form. Mm. And it kind of blew me away to think about that. So, yes, I agree. I think there will be free will, but we beyond what we understand as free will and there will be no corruption in it. I, I agree with the lack
1: of understanding of what that looks like, I, that it's beyond what we can think about today.
3: Yeah. And I, when you talk about free will, too, Jeff, I think it naturally surfaces the question, about how does God's sovereignty fit into that? And people often will go to an Ephesians one passage or some things in Romans, but especially in Ephesians when it talks about this concept of, of predestination. And it's it, that's, I mean, maybe in the theological weeds too much, but I think a lot of people are troubled by that, about the idea that we actually don't have any kind of free agency or free will, that this is all up to God. But I, again, now we're back into that, where we started this segment with that place of humility, where we're trying to figure out the best pathway forward. And I think it's really helpful um, to remember that the Bible was not written within the, uh, somebody's understanding of their life as an individual, meaning it wasn't being written to to finite individuals, as being written to communities of faith. And so to interpret uh, in Ephesians one passage as teaching that certain individuals are predestined to go to heaven and certain individuals are predestined to go to hell, um is maybe not the kind of philosophical framework that the writers of scripture were using. It was talking about a you and so much about uh, a plural you and so much about Ephesians and Romans. And even the whole question of the new Testament is almost always revolving around. So how did these Gentiles get into this deal? Because this has always been the Jewish people that were supposed to be the stewards, and we were not supposed to mess around with the Gentiles. And now we got this Paul guy going out to all these Gentiles Mm -hmm. that we weren't supposed to mess around with. Now they're part of the people of faith. What's going on? And so the predestination language is that God always had in mind that he was coming for the Gentiles. He had predestined these people also to be conformed to the image of his son. And so it takes that whole... Um, tension out about God's sort of sovereignty as being identified about who gets to go to heaven and who gets to go to hell from a scriptural standpoint. Cause it's not, it doesn't seem to be what scripture is teaching. Predestination has to do with God's plan to go to the Gentiles. It was always in his mind for a moment one. And that's what Paul is arguing for. So I do think, Jeff, and share with you, we have the free will somehow in God's economy to make an authentic choice for or against the kingdom. There is risk at work. This isn't just a robotic plan that some people
2: right. get to participate in and some people don't. But these are hopefully some helpful ways to think about well, it. Well, It demands that we listen to the Lord. We listen to his word. We keep bringing ourselves in line with what he's told us to do in terms of forgiveness and loving others. You know, when we were coming back from uh, the Black Hills, we had the GPS in the car. It's wonderful. I remember the old days of maps. Maps were terrible. You could get lost and be all over the place. The good news is Jesus is the ultimate map keeper. And no matter where we're at on the map and no matter how lost, he always can say, over here, mm-hmm. come over here. He knows how to get us where we need to go. So if we're talking predestination in that sense, yeah, he knows where he wants us. But we still have the freedom to either obey him or disobey him. Yeah, that's a good way to say And we wind up uh, sometimes lost and sometimes we find our way home. You know, Scripture is full of these contrasts that God gives about, you know, choose
1: this day who you will serve. Why do you waver between these two positions? Mm-hmm. If God is God, worship him. If Baal is God, worship him. In the garden, Jesus, you know, before the crucifixion is saying, not my will, but your will be done. You know, this idea of choosing, of 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 setting your, your mind on, on God instead of of the world. Even John 3, 16, whosoever believes, that is an act of faith, Mm -hmm. of our will. It's all over Scripture. This idea that we don't have a free will, I I just don't see it in the Bible Mm -hmm.
3: Agreed.
0: All right, gentlemen, uh, question, can you uh, ask the guys to explain Acts 8, 14 through 17? Thank you, and happy birthday to
1: Jeff. Thank you.
0: Yeah. You want me to read it? That'd be great. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit.
3: Well, there's quite a bit of controversy going on in the book of Acts. Now back to what we were just talking about. Um, as, the, as the good news was going out into the Gentile world, the Jewish people were understandably quite skeptical that this is the real deal. And uh, there had been a lot of messiahs that had come and gone, at least messiahs that were claiming as such, uh, in in the Jewish world. And so why would this Jesus be any different? How can we know that his ministry was real? Of course, the resurrection was a big deal, but a lot of people didn't believe that it had actually happened. And so uh, in the book of Acts, the falling of the Spirit upon people, as then manifested in the speaking of tongues, was seen as sort of the sign that they were part of the new covenant people. And uh, and Peter and John were Jewish people who, uh, even still at that time, Peter was somewhat skeptical about going to the Gentiles. And so they hear reports of the Samaritans coming to faith in Jesus. But I would suggest that that passage then is even for the benefit of Peter and John, who historically would have never wanted to step foot in Samaria. Mm. Uh, If you were a religious leader at that time, you actually walked around Samaria because you didn't want to associate with those people at all. You wouldn't step foot in that land. And so... This again is crossing a lot of social divides for them to go, and then for them to have eyewitness proof of the spirit falling upon the hated Samaritans um, would have further um, undergirded their ministry to the Gentiles. What are you like a professor or something in no, a different <laughs> life? Yeah. Seriously, wow. just wish I'd get invited to steak dinners. I know. Well, I'm buying. I'm buying sushi at the I gas, the gas, gas station, <laughs> so we're good. We're good. What are Will
0: you quick, guys
1: doing? Tonight? Flashlights back on.
3: <laughs> uh, put that cell phone.
0: You know,
1: I got
3: to do it. See, I read from the internet. My oh. answer
1: and so I'm
3: sorry, every <laughs> once in a while, I, I flick on the light.
0: That I makes so much
2: sense, sense. Yeah, but, Jeff, yeah. quit sending him answers, okay? <laughs> okay? Does anybody want to add to that? Yeah, when you go back to early part of Acts, where the uh, the apostles are in the upper room, they have seen the risen Lord Jesus Christ. They have touched him. They have heard him. They watched him ascend. And what are they doing? They're hiding. They're basically hiding. And they're praying. But that's a good excuse for not going out in the public. Then the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and they suddenly stuck talking all these languages, and the spirit goes out. I think that there are a lot of times, and I've seen people like this too, they will come forward at an altar call. They, I will personally set and, and they will receive Jesus in their life. But for whatever reason, I can't explain, there's no power. They just don't seem to have any real power to go out and do anything, and I will often pray with those people later for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the power and the blood of Jesus to cover them, and I've been amazed at how many times after doing that, these people became dynamos. Mm -hmm. I don't always understand it. Now, there are times people come forward and receive Jesus, and it's like the Spirit, boom, it all comes together, but there are other times it's separate. I can't explain that, but I know they're supposed to have the power of the Spirit in them because the power gives you the courage to stand up and speak the truth no matter what.
1: Mm. Definitely. I, one comment on the laying of hands. I think it's kind of like speaking of tongues. It's it's done here. Uh, we see it that that's in the text that Paul, he laid his hands on, and then they received the spirit. But we have other cases in Scripture. In fact, when Peter goes to Cornelius's house in Acts, uh, I believe it's ten and eleven. Uh, it says the Holy Spirit came upon all those who heard the message mm-hmm. and believed. So there was no laying on hands. So right. it, it happens that way, but it's not required to happen that way. It's just like tongues. It can happen when you receive the Spirit and you speak in tongues, but it doesn't have to happen. Mm-hmm. And I think there's there's some in Christendom that turn these things into entire theologies and requirements. And, and I, I just wanted to make that clear.
3: Yeah, I agree. And, I, and as I think we're calling to mind as we're talking about what it would have been like for them to go to the hated Samaritan people or or the confusion about how the Gentiles could be part of this deal. I, I Start thinking about, um, do, do I, when I walk around this world, am I dismissive of other people that are unlike me uh, in the same way that they would have been back then, because this would have been very confrontative to Peter and John to go into that land of Samaria. And, and how much of my day is done dismissing the beloved image bearers for whom Jesus died as well? Whether it's somebody on the road. I just got mad at somebody on a motorcycle today. He had a really cool motorcycle. It was orange and he was killing his shades, but he kind of cut me off on the road a little bit and he kind of pointed back. And I did the Christian thing. I honked angrily at him. <laughs> and uh, I was pretty bitter about the whole thing. But, but you know. The,
1: Sorry, I cut you
3: off. Yeah, you know, I know. I didn't want I'm, to say it. But and your birthday motorcycle was yeah. great. Uh, but it just, it called to mind, I, do I treat the Samaritans metaphorically in the same way that they might have? But boy, oh boy, God's spirit is just, I'm sure, waiting to race the people to fall on them. And it's not through all these different mechanisms, like like you said, Jeff, but...
2: Like God's will is that none would perish. And, and that's a way to see the world. But the church sending Peter and John and Peter and John going into Samaritan. It wasn't the Jews just hated the Samaritans. Samaritans hated the Jews, yeah, too. Sure. And it was dangerous on the road. I mean, you could get beat up. You could get killed. And yet they willingly went because they wanted these new believers who were Samaritans to have the power of the spirit to spread the gospel.
1: Yeah. You know, I call that the Jonah complex. Jonah was told to go to Nineveh. And, and he said, no, God, judge them. I don't want to go there. And and he ended up on a boat and and in the belly of a huge fish. And and I think there's times that we all have the Jonah complex. Like, I don't want to go to that part of town. I don't want to go to that country. I don't want to. I, I have that in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. right? And uh, today is not the day of judgment. Today is the day of salvation. And that's the message we're supposed to bring to the world, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there's some days we want to go to a steak dinner party. Right? There it is. <laughs> and we get stuck with, with yeah. one of expired sushi from a gas station. So, you don't yeah. know it's going to be expired. I don't. You don't I have know. faith in
3: you, Bill Arnold. I do. It's going to be good. <laughs> good tuna.
0: All right. I think we're losing you, aren't we? Yeah, you are indeed. Okay. Peter's going to step away. He's got to go pick up, I think, uh, family?
3: Yeah, my kids uh, finish their theater stuff at 5 oh, o'clock, so i got to be there for them. All right.
0: So we will let you go. However, when we come back, uh, Birthday Boy will be here, and also uh, Pastor Tom Parrish. Keep the questions coming. i got some great questions coming in and 8779332484 is the number we'll be right back We're back with guy talk or guys who talk minus one because uh, Peter stepped away. He had to go pick up his family. So we are um, uh, with Tom Parrish and birthday boy Jeff Redorn. So some amazing questions have come in, and some of these are very challenging. Um, let's jump on this one. I live alone, but in a way, I don't. For more than a couple of years, I've sent the, pr- the I've sensed the presence of someone or something in my home. Happens when I. Uh, Even if I wake up in the middle of the night, I can hear someone's uh, breathing near me, probably less than two feet away. Has anyone heard of anything like this happening to someone else? This is the uh, only one example of things that have happened. What can I do to get rid of it? Please help.
2: I give this uh, person a lot of credit to even bringing this up because this is the kind of thing nobody wants to talk about. Even in the Christian church, we, we pretty much stay away from this. So good for you for bringing it up. It is not as uncommon... As we may think, it goes on out there. The demonic is always there trying to get into our life, trying to, to do these things. If the Lord was sending you a message or the Lord sent an angel, there'd be an identification and you would get the word and it would be aligned with the word of God. This kind of thing breathing, hear the un- making you uncomfortable. That's a different message. What I tell people in these circumstances is this. Look, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you already have the authority to use his name and his shed blood. And I would literally, when I wake up and I would hear this, I would say to that voice, you have no right to be here. You know, I am covered by the blood of Jesus. You must be gone and don't come back. And I did this with a young man who was caught up in this for years. And it didn't happen overnight, but he kept doing that, and eventually it was gone and has never come back. So I know there's power. So there is hope. Yeah, we know from the New Testament that demons are real.
1: Paul also says that our battle is really a spiritual battle. That's our true battle in this world. So, but we also don't have a ton of information about this. But I know I've heard these stories over the years of people who've had similar kinds of experiences and And more by the way, and by mm-hmm. the way, people who have traveled around the world into other uh continents and other seem this kind of activity seems to happen much more. I don't know why that is, but it it seems more common um I think some of the promises of of God are important at this point. greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world right there this the world the demonic world cannot touch you, and uh you know while it's real. I tend to think of it this way because I we can't see them. They can see us. You know, how do we fight this? Well, you got to fight it through the power of, of the Lord. And I yeah. he is the commander of the armies of the host. And so I just kind of seek him and let him to worry about the detail. Now, I think there's some things you can do. Tom, you said command them to leave. Use in Jesus' name. Just say, be gone. That's what we see in Scripture. Sure. Also, a number of people that I've talked to who have had similar experiences play worship music in their house. It sounds kind of silly, but they say that it worked. The voices went away. The Some of these things that were happening went away. We just play worship music in our house all the time. Mm-hmm. And, and these instances uh, diminished greatly.
0: Thank you for those answers. I appreciate that. So there's another comment question. So like you guys described, the spirit means that no humans had spirit. And by the way, Would all people before the birth of Christ, would they just go to hell? Of course, you guys already have the reservations to heaven. What was the first, repeat that first part of that question? Like you guys described the spirit? Yeah. I think that was from the Acts passage we talked
1: about. Okay. Was that uh, Acts 8? Or the spirit of of man, the three-part nature of man. Is that what they're referring to? Maybe so. Yeah, maybe so.
0: So maybe I'm not even asking the question correctly. Um. So, like you guys described, the Spirit means that no humans had spirit. And by
1: the way, would all people before the birth of Christ would go to hell? I think it's. I think what the question is referring to is, before Christ, how did someone become spiritually alive without the without Christ's death, burial, and resurrection being there in this new birth? Well, no one in the Old Testament was born again like we are born again in the New Testament, after the cross. But there's still salvation prior to the cross. It's by faith, right? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So it's the same faith in the same God. But prior to the Crucifixion of Christ. They had, they didn't have an understanding of who Christ was, and and that He was going to pay for the sins of the world. After the cross, we do. So what we believe, Abraham believed God. We believe God, but we believe something different. We have more revelation today, and we believe in His Son, and therefore are born again. Um, so I think that's what the question is getting at. Every single person that's ever born since Adam on Adam was actually created with a spirit that was alive. United with God, and that's what the fall in Genesis 3 is all about. He died that day, right? And so all mankind has is has inherited that death that he died through his sin. He lost the Spirit of God within his spirit and spiritually died that day. He didn't physically die that day. Mm-hmm. He spiritually died that day.
2: It's interesting because you go to Hebrews 11 and 12, and I've just been studying this. It talks about that great cloud of witnesses. Who do they talk about? Abraham, you know, Isaac, you know, right down through the Old Testament list of all those that faithfully carried on the faith. Now, did they have the, the, the power that you and I are given now with the Holy Spirit? No, but I still believe that when, and however the Lord did this, his presence was there and his power was there for these people to believe and to walk in that. They just didn't identify it. They didn't know Jesus was coming either. They knew a Messiah was coming, but they didn't know it was Jesus. But when they finally realized that, then it began to dawn on them who he is. All right, here's a comment that, came in, could you please point out
0: where in Scripture it tells us that we should talk to these evil spirits. I just don't see it. We call upon the Lord himself to protect us and use his word as the sword like Jesus did in the days of temptation.
2: Jesus talked to his apostles about that. It's in Luke. I can't tell you right offhand. I'd be more than happy to, if this listener wants to contact you, Bill, with information, I will send him Scripture passages and talk about this.
1: Yeah, there's uh, it's my memory too. There's actual several a couple of places yep. where it's like the Lord rebuke you or or leave them or I I, I and I can't remember the exact references either.
2: Well, right. Jesus said he gave them the apostles authority he did. over the demons and they spoke directly to demons and they were amazed cuz the demons obeyed us. So there there was something definitely going on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I I but the theme of the question
1: is what I said earlier that because we I, I, you know I don't go around looking for fights with demons and so on. It's like, trust in the Lord. He will fight your battles for you. He is the commander of all of these armies of the hosts and so on. So I like the concept. I'm just going to trust in Jesus and let him worry about the details. Mm -hmm. Another comment.
0: I disagree with the free will in part. I agree we can reject God. The fact that I believe I can take no credit for. I was dead in my sin, but God made me alive. I had nothing to do with my salvation. It is a gift of God You did not
1: choose me, I chose you. So that specifically, that you did not choose me, I chose you, Mm -hmm. is specifically directed at the twelve. And Jesus did choose the twelve. He chose them for discipleship. I don't believe that is referring to salvation in that passage. I believe that he chose them unto discipleship. And when God chooses, which he does for many things, he chooses people for kingships and for for different roles. He chose Paul to be an apostle. He chose Moses to lead Israel free. He does do a lot of choosing, but it's not unto salvation. It's unto a, a, a role or a function or a purpose. And uh, so, yeah, the the idea that we don't have the the ability to believe in God is kind of this concept that some teach about total depravity and what total depravity in essence really means is a total inability to believe and and i don't know why god would command us to believe in him if we didn't have the ability
2: to believe in him well jesus said in john 5:24 truly truly i say to you whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me you know has eternal life there is an action on our part i don't create the salvation i don't have the power of the salvation i don't make the salvation happen but when Jesus is there offering it to me by his shed blood, yeah, you know, I'm going I'm to grab for it, and I'm going to hold on to Jesus. And believe in the New Testament is not believe in terms of inner strength. It is an object, and that object is always Jesus. You put your confidence in him, and you're saved. It's not something we do. It's something that he does for us. It's still his action, but at the same time, we have a responsibility. And, and remember, God just doesn't leave us down here. He, he
1: reveals himself to mankind in so many ways, right? Ecclesiastes says he puts eternity in man's heart. Yes. So we have an understanding that there's something more than than ourselves. He says in Romans 1 that, that all of creation declares his glory. So if you open your eyes in the morning and look at creation, it declares the glory of of God. He says he puts the righteous requirements of the law in our hearts in Romans 2. We know what's right and wrong. Where did that come from? Well, it came from God. And finally, in in, in Revelation, oh, he sends his Holy Spirit out into the world to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And he says in Revelation, I stand at the door and knock. He is knocking on everybody's door. If he wasn't knocking, no one would answer the door, but we
2: still have to answer the door. And what does Paul say? Paul says they're without excuse. That's right. There's no excuse for saying, hey, he didn't choose me. I, I didn't get a chance. No, no. Everybody has the opportunity, and it's our burden if we don't. There's We have missed the opportunity that the Lord has given to us. And Jesus woke me up when I was 22 years old. I didn't do it. He did. Hmm. All right, that's all the time we have.
0: Jeff, I'm going to give the birthday boy the last word. You've got five seconds.
1: Five.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thank and you, Jeff. now it's over. Okay. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Thanks for listening to the show. I'm going to take a break. When we come back, Rob Reinhardt is going to join me. He's written a book called Healing Family Relationships, a guide to peace. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at myfaithradio.com.